Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Transformational Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Hyman, coming to you live April 2nd. Uh, it's Sunday, 3 p.m. It's a big week. It's Master's Week, baby. My most favorite uh, week of the year uh, outside of, obviously, the week of like my kid's birthday and my wife and my anniversary and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, Master's Week's a big week. Uh, still have not been able to go, but it's on mine and uh, my oldest son, Jack's on our bucket list. So, if you know anybody, we join the lottery every year. But, unfortunately, we have uh, yet to win and don't know anybody who, you know, gets tickets every year. So, if you're listening, if you uh, want to help a father and his child check off a very important uh, piece of their bucket list, let me know. Reach out. We'll pay for them, obviously. Uh, willing to pay whatever the cost is to go um, at some point in the future. So it's just, I think is a, it's this is one of those things that people think this is dumb, but I used to take this week off every year, uh, and honestly, I was going to take Thursday and Friday off of this week as well, um, just to, you know, it's a ritual. You got to watch the opening tee shot on on Thursday morning. You got to watch it on the app all day. Uh, It's just what we do, Um, but I'm back in training again this week for my job, so. I'm going to be working anyways, um, but I will have that uh, that Masters Thursday and Friday fired up, ready to go. Um, and I think this is the first Masters week in a while where we actually had baseball games. So uh, I think normally Masters week might fall during spring break. It has in the past. I feel like it has. I could be wrong. Um, but it's interesting because, like, I feel like most most years we don't we don't have game or we have we don't have games during Masters Week, whereas this year we do. So we got a uh, got a big week uh, this week. We got the Wilson Tigers coach Chippa Smith, um, the politician from the big city of Florence. He uh, he's a great guy. Um, I grew up playing against Coach Smith. Uh, he played at Wilson, so he's now the coach over there. Uh, really doing a good job over there. Just. Yeah, I think historically they've always been a basketball and a football school. Um, I might get crucified for saying that, you know, outside of a state championship when Coach Curtis Hudson was there. Uh, I don't think I, – I just think majority of their success has always come in basketball and football. And, and they're – you know, those dudes compete hard. They play the game the right way in baseball and all their sports, really. But I think identity-wise, they're probably – most people would say, oh, yeah, they're a football school. They're, they're a basketball school. They're a – you know, whatever. Um, that's kind of how I've always viewed them. But being a baseball coach, I know the type of talent they have over there. They got some good players. So, you know, we're gonna have to show up ready to ready to play this week. Uh, expecting a tough matchup against Coach Chippa Smith. I I need to get Coach Smith on the uh, the podcast because we got to talk about how he went from Chipper Smith to Chippa. So, like, I I think he actually spells his name different i know his name's actually lawrence i think but everybody in the baseball world knows him i know him as chipper i want to see him at the gym i'm like sub coach chipper sub brother and he never corrects me but i think it's actually chip up and there was a reason behind i can't remember what the story was maybe we'll get him on a coach's corner segment and talk to him about it but anyways this is gonna be a big week for the bruins um 
we had a tough week last week and uh it actually kind of is the motivation behind the podcast i'm gonna do today and the podcast once we get through all the typical intros is it's going to be called a player's guide to dealing with failure. I don't want this to be mistaken for a player's guide to overcoming adversity because I view these things differently. Some coaches view them as the same thing. I don't um, think failure oftentimes leads to adversity, just like sometimes success can lead to adversity. But, you know, I think for young athletes, dealing with adversity is is one of those things that the really – or sorry, dealing with failure, especially in a sport like baseball where you fail so much – uh, is one of the things that separates the really good teams from the okay teams. Uh, it's easy to compete when everything's going well. It's easy to to show up to practice, and it's easy to do all that stuff when when you know you're seven for your last ten or you've won your last fifteen games. You know where it gets tough sometimes is when you've lost three in a row, and you know you've lost two games against a really good team, and you know or th- you know in our case we've lost three games against three really good teams. Um, because the outside noise starts happening. You know, you got people who I've told our guys this before. You've got a lot of people out there who they wanted to they wanted to be a part of our journey so far this year, but not because they wanted to hitch their wagon to to us, but because they wanted to see us fail. Um I told somebody the other day, they said, Man, y'all put a massive target on your back when y'all got that number one ranking. And I was like, dude, we didn't ask for that number one ranking. Like I didn't call the South Carolina Baseball Coaches Association and say, hey, guys, I think we're the number one team in the state. Do I believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Do I still believe that? I do. I think we're the best team in the state. I'm not going to stop believing that just because we've lost three games in a row. Now, the haters, the people who want to see us fail, the people who think they're better than us, they they don't believe that. They thought that that number one ranking was a whatever the word is, and that's fine. They can think that. Um you know, at the end of the day, the ranking's not all that important. It's what you're doing at the end of May. But, uh, you know, we, we tell them, like, you know, those people were here to watch you fail, okay? So we're at that moment in our season where it's like, okay, like, good teams, they answer the bell here, right? Um, last week was emotional. It really was. I mean, we took and arguably, you know, if 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 in my opinion we're the best team, North Myrtle Beach is the second best team. They're good. They've been good for a long time. Um, they're baseball rich. Work hard. They're well coached. I mean, think they had six college players on that team. So on paper, you would look at them and say, "Well, dude, they should dog those guys." I think there's a lot of people who believed that was going to happen last week. Look across the state. They saw the matchup. They said, "Yeah, this dude South Florence is going to get their tail whipped." And we didn't. We went to the last inning with a great team. Um, you know, we executed and did everything right. And we still fell up. We fell a little short. And that's baseball. That's why it's a beautiful game. Um, so I think some people are like, oh, those guys might be about to cash it in. They might. Not a shot, man. We're better today than we were yesterday. Better today than we were Friday. I assure you that. So um, we're excited. Was it tough? It was a character building week for us, no doubt about it. Um, but get an opportunity this week to get back right, get back on the uh, the winning side of things, get, you know, make sure we keep on playing our brand of baseball and 
and we're excited about that. But this is, you know, to the point of why we're doing, I'm doing this podcast is this is oftentimes the, for average teams, below average teams, it's the moment where everything unravels. You know, you lose against a top five team in the state, three to two in your last at bat. You turn around the next time, next night, you lose to a really good 3A team in Lake City. Um, you know, you're the number one team in 4A baseball, so everybody has something to say about that, but they just don't know, you know, kind of honestly, I'm just going to, this hurts me a little bit when people start like saying things like, yeah, I should have never lost to Lake City. It's like, you can tell somebody's an idiot when they say stuff like that because they have no idea the type of program Coach Apicella runs over there. And I've talked about him a few times on this podcast. The dude represents everything great about this game. And so do his kids. Um, I will not be shocked at all if they're one of the last teams standing in 3A baseball at the end of, at the end of this year because I know what's going on over there. I know how they prepare. I know how good their kids are and stuff like that. But anyways, you lose to a team like that, and then you turn around on Friday and you lose to uh to the same team three to two and in the seventh inning again. Um yeah, average teams cash it in after that. We're not an average team though. So looking forward to it. Um but sorry, I got I got off topic there. Um the ability to deal with that failure and use it for positive growth is vital. And I think it's something that needs to be talked about. And it's something that, you know, you don't just wake up one day and say, Hey, today I deal with failure really good. So for players who listen to this, the whole purpose of this, this podcast is to kind of give you the things that like, I'm all about turning something into a process. So this is my process for how you deal with failure. This is my process for, you know, how you take these moments and you get them to work for you, not work against you. And if the players listen to this, I mean, maybe you haven't experienced that moment yet. If you play baseball, you probably have. But I mean, we're at that point of the season where like coaches, we got to make tough decisions this time of year. I'm just being real with you. And some people you've been dealing with failure up to this point, And maybe there hasn't been a whole bunch of repercussions. Maybe you're still, you know, walking out there and 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 you're still in the lineup every night and stuff like that but you know that's not always going to be the case especially you know the stakes are up um you know and sometimes like you know failure looks like well i got taken out i lost my starting spot and that's okay it's 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 part of what has to happen sometimes for the team to be able to put themselves in a really good position moving forward we talk about it all the time about embracing your role. Some people you've gone this whole season with your role being this big, right? And then through your performance or through, you know, other guys' performance when they've been given opportunities, your role goes down some. That's normal. But for you, that's failure. You have to learn how to deal with that. You have to learn how to embrace that instead of being pouty about it and, you know, turning it into – Screw my coaches who've always had my back. Screw everybody, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, you got to be about the team. Like, you were about it when you were in the lineup every day. As parents, same thing, right? A lot of you have been dealing with failure all year, okay? As parents, you're saying, well, my kid's not playing. You view that as failure, okay? Your kids may view that as failure. What were they doing about it, right? Um were they contended? Were they identifying why they weren't playing? Were they identifying the things they need to do 
needed to do to get better if you if your child was playing every day were they identifying their weaknesses were they taking the coaching they were given to try to increase that gap between them and their other you know the people they were competing with for a starting job yeah if you're somebody who's been playing every day and you end up in a situation where you're not playing every day you have to embrace that role you have to deal with that failure you got to figure out how i'm going to move how i'm going to do this best moving forward so because remember it's not about you not about your emotions, not about mommy and daddy's emotions, not about grandma, auntie, cousin, whatever, not about all their emotions, man. It's about the team, their goals, and what you can do to help them achieve those goals. That's it. Uh, and, and the reason I bring that up is because this is the time of the year where, like, this is, it really hits hard here because, you know, I think with our season, we're about, what, 16 games in, something like that. and. It happens every year, you know. Um, people are looking around, you know, the guys, people in the bleachers, they start, you know, doing a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking. Well, if I was the coach, this guy would be playing, that guy would be playing, this guy would be sitting, this guy would be hitting here versus there. And it's okay. If you come to a baseball game, you're more than entitled. You're that That's your prerogative. You can do that. But it's something that as coaches and players, we have to understand, like, you know, Normally, things changing lineup-wise have less to do with what we do as coaches and what parents do and say and stuff. It has nothing to do with that and has everything to do with, like, what's going to give the team the best opportunity to win moving forward and and achieve their goals. And as coaches, we owe that to the team. You owe that to the team. Sometimes you got to make tough decisions. you got to have tough conversations. And as a result of those tough conversations and as a result of those those tough things, you have to learn how to deal with failure. You got to learn how to get back up, keep going, and figure out how, okay, this sucks, but how do I put my best foot forward today and put us in a position to go be successful? How do I execute whatever my role is now to help us accomplish our goals? Sway works. So that was like a really long intro for that. Um, and it's not, you know, I, I just say that because I know what time of year it is, you know, it's the time of year where everybody's assessing everything. If you're out of it, you're looking around at the young guys in your program saying, okay, who do I need to give playing time to to put us in a better position moving forward? Okay. Uh, okay, we're losing games. All right, is, is there something we're missing? Do we need to take a look at somebody else? Okay, we're winning a lot of games. Okay, how can we improve ourselves? Those are all things that good coaches are thinking about right now. And unfortunately for parents and players, uh, sometimes those thoughts result in our kids uh, having to deal with some type of failure in their own mind. So, and adversity. So that's all I want to say about that before we dive dive deeper into, you know, giving the intro to that and, and then talking about the process of dealing with failure. Um, want to talk about one thing um i'm totally drawing a blank right now oh all right i remember so big news for me personally just this isn't a toot my own horn thing this is more of a thank you than anything so uh one of the first articles that i wrote on 
the Coach Hyman substack uh, was, or the transformational coaching substack, I can't remember what it was called, was about the key lessons I learned after six years of coaching baseball. And that's actually something that me and Coach Rhodes Dickerson talked about, um, I don't know, probably six months ago. We sat down, we were like, hey, man, I want you to make a list of however many things, key things you learned that, you know, have helped you get to where you're at as a coach. So he wrote his, I wrote mine, I sent him mine, he sent me his. Uh, we read them, and then I said, you know what, I think, like, and, and me, me and him talked about this, like, we should start throwing our stuff out there because, like, I think sometimes as a coach you get in this habit of thinking that, like, well, what I say may be stupid or how would that go over with somebody else if they heard it or, you know, who would laugh at me if they read that or, like, like you get in a bad habit of thinking those things and there's a lot of doubt there. And there's a lot of doubt there and stuff like that because we make those things about us and our feelings. And, oh, man, I'd be really upset if somebody had something negative to say about something I, you know, I threw out there on paper. And I don't remember when it happened, but I, actually, I do remember when it happened. Me and my wife were sitting down on a, a Sunday. And this has been probably three months ago, whenever this started, actually. And um, we talked about it. I, you know, I love what I do for a living as a pharmaceutical rep. I love it. I'm I'm blessed that I've, I'm in a career that allows me, you know, the financial stability and and the work life balance to be able to coach coach people. But when I think about my identity, like I I identify as a great husband, a great father, and I try to be a great coach. Like there's nowhere in there where I'm like part of my identity is a great pharmaceutical rep, right? I love doing that. It pays the bills. Uh, I hope I can do it forever. But my impact on the world is as a husband, father, and a coach. Uh, those are the things I take the most pride in. You know, I take a tremendous amount of pride in my wife and what she's done for my life and what she does for our family every day. Uh, I take a tremendous amount of pride in my kids, uh, Jack and Holt. And where Jack is is a 17-year-old athlete, student athlete, and all the things that he's done well in his life and all the things he's overcome. You know, told this story before, you know, both of my kids have had to overcome some stuff. And uh, we couldn't overcome those things without each other. But, you know, Jack was born, um, his left hand's a little bit different than normal hands. You know, he's only got two working, you know, his his when you look at the way his left hand works, the only thing that works is his thumb and his pointer finger. And anybody who knows anything about golf knows how hard it is to swing a golf club if you can't put pressure on your pinky ring and middle finger. So he has to do things differently. And it's been, it's been a challenge for him his whole life. You know, from, you know, you think about trying to close a baseball glove and you're trying to close it right here. It's hard to do that when you're not using your whole hand. Um, and then, trying to swing a bat, trying to swing a golf club. I mean, it's, those are tough things to do. And like, we tell them all the time, like, dude, you're going to be an inspiration for somebody one day who is going through something similar, who looks at you and says, Hey, like if Jack can do those things, I, if Jack Holt can do those things, I can do those things. Right. And like, he's never used those things as a, a challenge. Like, I mean, yeah, it's been challenging, but he's never allowed it to hold him back. Like he just gets out there and gets it done. 
And um, he's such a perfectionist, and he does just a lot of things really – I say this all the time, like, if we – if I had, like – and we do at South Lawrence, but I'm just saying if any coach had whatever sport you're playing, if it's football, you got 11 guys on defense, 11 guys on offense. If it's baseball, you got nine guys on the field at one time. If, if everybody had – they're an entire roster of kids like my oldest kid. You'd never lose a baseball game. You'd never lose a football game because he's exactly what you want out of a player. Blue collar, works his ass off, great student, great person, just great everything. I'm real proud of him. But, like, the thing I'm most proud of is the things he's overcome. And, uh, you know, our youngest son, Holt, same thing. He was born. I remember when he was born, uh, this lady named Dr. Jenkins, she said, yeah, he'll never see two years old. And, you know, one thing I love about my wife is like, that was never going to be acceptable to my wife. And, uh, you know, she fought hard and long and like knocked on every possible door till we got an answer. And, and we got our answer for what he was diagnosed with. He was diagnosed with something called MCAP, M-C-A-P. You can look it up if you want to. Um, you know, but it's been a fight for him. It's been a struggle. And because of my wife, though, you know, my wife has put him in the best position to be successful, you know, because of people like Miss Joyce, who's his therapist and people like. Uh, like Dr. Stevenson from Greenwood Genetics and, you know, Dr. Chang, who delivered him and uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Lee. Uh, down at MUSC. I'm not sure where he's at now, but I mean, there's a lot of people and I, I hope I didn't forget somebody, Dr. Riva, uh, just a lot of people who were involved in his care and like they chose to like be invested in him and my wife. She's always chosen to be invested in our kids and invested in our family uh, to make sure everybody was okay and everybody got the care and support they needed to overcome whatever it is that they needed to overcome um yeah that's why we are where we are and uh i don't even remember the whole point of that but uh oh yeah so you know we talked about you know the things that because of how i identified and the things that like were really significant and important to me you know and the final part of that being my other set of kids right our baseball players, you know, and there's a bunch of them, but those guys, like, proud of them. We're proud of them as coaches. Like, everybody on our coaching staff, they're proud of these kids. The guys who play every day, the guys who don't play every day. I've talked about K.J. Andrews on this podcast many times. I saw K.J. Andrews swing the bat five times in his entire high school career, but I'm proud of that kid because of what he did, the things he accomplished, how much he helped our program, his attitude every day, his effort, like all that stuff. Jake Hardy, J.R. Williams, Stone Osborne, um, Aiden Palmer, Luke Miller, Hunter Matthews, Landon Matthews, Hunter McClay. I mean, I, you know, I could name all the people on the current team, but like those dudes mean something to me. They mean something to our coaches, the way they work, the way they – show up every day and face adversity. Nathan Galls, Noah Moore, Chandler Thompson, like it hasn't always been easy for those kids, right? But we're proud of them. Um, they represent everything great about our baseball program and they're part of how I identify because outside of my wife and my kids, 
you know, the coaches I coach with and the kids that I coach, they're some of the most meaningful relationships I have in my life. And, you know, I wrote about that in one of my first articles, you know, when I, you know, my wife gave me the okay to just kind of, hey, go be, go be vulnerable, tell the world how you feel, right? I don't know who's going to listen to it or, you know, I don't know how many people are listening to our podcast now. I think we're, you know, we're somewhere at like 6,000 listens or so. I don't know what that translates to in subscribers. I, you know, I know what our subscriptions look like on the, the sub stack and it's not a ton of people, but like, it doesn't matter. Like, go be vulnerable. Tell people, leave the world better than you found it, right? And that's what I try to do. And, you know, as a result of that, like, I get this positive feedback every day from people I know, people I don't know who are like, hey, man, like, thank for the impact you're having on my kid. I don't even, I don't know that. Some of these people, I don't know their kids. They say, hey, man, my kid was listening to your podcast on the way to school this morning. Like, you gave him the courage to do this or do that. Or, you know, I had a parent. You know, I, I, there's a lady. So I used to coach a kid named Hunter Watford and his mom, like she's been all bought in on the Sandy Watford. And, uh, you know, she posts my articles every time and tries to tell other people like, hey, you should listen to this because I know this is about baseball, but like this is relevant to everybody's life. Like there's lessons that can be learned here. And I appreciate that. You know, I think the world of her kids and her husband, Andy, like think the world of her, like they're, they're all great people. And like, it just means something to you when people that you know, and even people that you don't know, take the time to listen to the stuff you're throwing out there. Cause they say, Hey, maybe this can impact me in a positive way. But you know, the big thing that happened to me again, because of the courage my wife gave me to just step out on a limb and be vulnerable, you know, even though, you know, Hey, there's people that make fun of me about it. I don't, I'm good with it. It doesn't matter doesn't matter. That's their prerogative. Does it bother me sometimes? It does. It does. There's people who want to talk trash about the transformational coaching podcast, but it's okay. I'm still not at that point in life where it doesn't bother me every once in a while. So, you know, to the few haters that I have there, yeah, you bother me. One day you're not going to mean nothing to me though. Okay. But anyways, you know, the big thing that happened to me was, you know, I've been a member of the American Baseball Coaches Association since I got back into coaching. I think my membership lapsed one year just because I didn't understand the value of being a part of that. And Inside Pitch Magazine came out. This month's edition came out, and one of my first articles was was featured in there. Um, and part of, like, my development of, like, jumping out on a, on a limb for this was to submit that article to them. And, you know, I didn't know it was going to be in there until – like a month ago when they reached out and were like, Hey, we're putting this article in. This is great stuff. Like, that was awesome. Like, so now anybody who reads that magazine is going to see my face, our kids, you know, they're going to see all of our guys, like in the picture when we run the one, the region championship, they're going to see the picture of me and Jay Cardi and J.R. Williams. The first year that I was a head or not a head coach, but an assistant coach. And, uh, they're going to see that they're going to read the things that I said. They're going to know how I feel about our kids and our program, the lessons I learned. And the hope is somebody's going to read that and it's going to help them go from being, you know, start taking the steps forward from being a transformation, a transactional coach to being a transformational coach. Or maybe somebody will read those words and say, Hey, like I thought this way of that, that program or this guy, but now I think this way, because, um, if that's the type of people they have leading those kids and they got to be good coaches, they got to be good people. Or maybe somebody who's in a bad mindset or doesn't, you know, a player, somebody who is in a bad moment, who 
you know, reads that or a coach who reads that, you know, it propels them forward and helps them grow as people so they can, you know, go have the courage to go accomplish the things they want to accomplish. So, you know, huge accomplishment for me, not saying that to pat myself on the back. The, what I, the reason I'm saying it is as coaches, parents, players, be vulnerable, man. Like, be willing to be uncomfortable because you never know who you're going to have an impact on. I tell our kids all the time, you know, and there's some of them I've told this here recently because I want them to know the impact they've had on my life, right? I try to tell my wife and kids, they, I assume they know these things, but I try to tell them this stuff anyways. Like, but even like our baseball, I could tell them like, dude, I'm going to miss you when you're gone. Like straight up, I'm going to miss straight up, miss some of these kids like more than they could ever imagine. Cause and I told two of them this specifically in the past two weeks, like they'll never understand the impact they've had on me as a coach. You know, our three team captains this year, Noah Moore, Aiden Palmer, Luke Miller. Uh, and I'm not taking anything away from any of the guys that came before them or any of the guys we currently have, but like those guys mean a lot to me because of the timing of where I was in my life. You know, I hear me talk about Jay Cardi and, and J.R. Williams a lot. That's no knock to Stone Osborne, Parker Winfield, those other guys. But it's like where I was in my life when I first started coaching those guys. The impact they've had on me is tremendous. They challenged me to be a better coach every single time out because, like, you feel obligated to be the best that you can be for those guys. And not just those guys, but all of them. But those the relationships are a little bit different because, like, they extend the relationship further by, Hey, have you thought about this, coach? Hey, I'm struggling with this. Like, you know, when kids take the time to like seek out help and offer advice and offer help and stuff like that, you know, it helps. It becomes more two way, two way street versus maybe a one way street when you're doing all the coaching, doing all the advice given, you know, you're delivering so people you're not really sure if they're taking it in or whether it means something to them. Um, anyways, so. That was big. If you're, you know, if you're somebody who has ideas, if you're somebody who's passionate about helping kids, if you're somebody who's passionate about impacting lives, like get your information out there, man. Tweet stuff, write articles. It sounds stupid. People are going to make fun of you. It is what it is, right? But the level of impact you're going to be able to have on other people by doing that, it's going to be mean so much more than the people who hate on it, right? Um, it used to be I would write things and worry about like, oh man, who's going to read that and think that's stupid? I don't even think about that anymore because it doesn't matter, right? That's not my audience. I'm not, that's not who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the people who actively like see the thing pop up. Hey, there's a new podcast and they go listen to it because it's like, hey, can I learn something new today? How's this going to positively impact my life? It means a lot to me, like my wife listens to stuff, my kids listen to stuff, our players listen to stuff. They're like, hey, coach, I've been listening to your podcast. I thought that was really good when you said blah, blah, blah. It's like, damn, I started off with one kid. Now it's like 10 of them, right? It means something. So anyways, leave the world better than you found it, guys. It's, there's not an amount of money or anything else in the world that that can can compare. I'm just telling you that right now. Again, outside of like my wife and my kids and the things they do every day that make me proud, like some of the other most proud whatever moments have come from the conversations I've had with other people about this podcast, uh, the things I've seen from other kids who 
would say, you know, go do something crazy and be like, hey, man, you know, I had the courage to do that because of what I what you said here, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it just just means more. Leave the world better than you found it. That's what our job is. Like, I'm finally starting to, like, really understand that and see, like, just how impactful we can we can be as adults. And I don't know. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to talk about this for 30 minutes. So anyways, let me jump into the podcast finally. So I, that, that, I just wanted to throw that out there. Like, be vulnerable. Send your stuff somewhere. Don't matter, man, man, you got a great recipe for something? Send a recipe in. I don't know. Yeah. You got great advice on coaching? Send it in. You got tips on how to be a better hitter? Send it in. Yeah. Nothing wrong with doing that. Be courageous, man. That goes for players, too. So anyways, all right, players got to deal with failure. I'm trying to run off my rundown sheet over here and just kind of, you know, go from there. So again, one of the toughest things uh, for young athletes to learn is how to deal with failure the right way. And it's a given. Like every aspect of your life, uh, whether professionally, personally, athletically, there's not a single human being on the face of this planet who hasn't failed at some point in life when the stakes were extremely high and they felt like they had prepared for the moment better than anybody else like it's gonna happen there's no way around it i you know in my professional life like there's been times where you know i prepared i knew what to say how to say it in my own mind i just knew like it was going to come out this way and it was a key moment where i needed to execute i need to come through and i just lost the words freaked out, didn't say what I needed to say, and I didn't execute. Like, it happens. We've all done that. We've all been there. We've all prepared for a test, and, you know, we allowed the pressure of that test to, to help us fail or allowed us to, you know, the pressure of that just allowed us to fail. As baseball players, this happens all the time, right? Spend all week preparing, practicing, months, right? And then the lights come on, and you find yourself over for 4 with three strikeouts. And you're defeated, and you're down. And, like, that's step one to, like, us ending up in a really bad spot. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, the thing that we have to understand as people, as players, as parents, as co-workers, or as employees, whatever, failure's gonna, failure has to happen so we can move forward and reach new heights, right? Um, we got to embrace it. We got to use it as a tool to get us to our next ceiling instead of allowing failure to hold us back and keep us down. A lot of times we fail, confidence goes down. Uh, and fear starts creeping in legit, like fear creeps in and we're like, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be able to, uh, I'm not going to be able to, to have the courage to get up and fight and, and do whatever, uh, because of that, that failure. So, you know, I'm not saying it's easy cause it's not, it comes with pain. It hurts like hell. Failing hurts like hell sometimes, but you know, if we view failure as a part of life instead of spending our time trying to avoid it, we'll be better off and we can reach our next ceiling faster. So, you know, just to differentiate something like I'm not saying, saying dealing with failures or sorry, I just said that. In a previous article and podcast, we talked about um, overcoming adversity. Dealing with failure is a little bit different, right? Uh, this is more towards the actual act of failing and how to deal with it. Um whether it's failing in a bat, failing to comp complete a play that results in a big swing in the game. I talked about this last week. You know, Wyatt Williams, I know he prepares the right way defensively to play right field for us, right? And 
we actually worked on the play that we didn't finish last week. Line drive, hit the right field, he dives, hits the ground ball, comes out. Like, that wasn't from a lack of preparation. That wasn't even from a lack of execution. It was just from a lack of finish. Like, we didn't finish the play, and that's okay. Um, But to him, that was a big deal, right? He failed, and he carried that with him. Like, I think he felt like that's why we lost the game. It's not. But to players, that's how we deal with those failures. We we make them more than we make it more than what it is. And sometimes in the process of making it more than what it is, we start losing our courage to fight. We start losing our courage to show up again and do it again tomorrow. And that's not what we can. We we can't do that. Um, yeah, it's okay to fail. It sucks in the time. Yeah, sure. I would have loved for him to have caught that ball, and you know that game stayed one nothing, but. It didn't, and it's okay. We're going to learn from it, and and we'll talk about kind of the process there here in a minute about how, like, for him personally, he can check all these boxes and say, I prepared the right way, I was locked in on the play, and I executed the play, just I didn't finish the play, and it's okay that happened. So, you know, these are, you know, failure and adversity are unavoidable parts of life and sports are things that are going to happen even after we prepared the right way and we're prepared for the moment, just like I just said. Um but the people that get the most out of life are the ones who learn how to deal with failure the best and use it to propel them forward instead of use instead of using it to hold them back. So, you know, when you're a young athlete who's learning how to deal with failure, uh, the first thing you have to do is have the ability to identify what success looks like, and that's really important because if we're not if we're not able to like when we start talking about the process of dealing with failure, the first absolute first thing you have to do is have the ability to identify success. Like, what does it look like in that moment? Because if you can't even identify that, then like, we can't really grow because like, we gotta get, we're gonna be stuck on step one of like, okay, all right, now we got a bigger challenge. I've gotta be able to more consistently identify what success even looks like in that moment. Uh, that's the first thing we have to do. And then once we're able to do that, there's three questions that we have to be able to answer. Uh, that's gonna deliver the additional insight into what happened. And it's going to tell us, like, hey, was this, like, I wasn't prepared? Was my mindset not right? Did I not execute? Like, it's those are all things that you have to be able to answer. So how was my preparation? How was my mindset? How was my execution? Those are three, the three questions you got to have an answer to. Um, we'll detail each of those below. So the first thing we talked about was success, you know, being able to identify what that looks like. So. Um, a lot of times we get hung up on identifying success for us as an individual. And when you play a team sport, the most important thing that we do is when we fail, we have to identify what did success look like for the team in that moment? Because everything we do team sport related, like baseball is all about what could I do to help the team on this pitch, right? By failing there, what did it stop the team from accomplishing? You know, you have to have the ability uh, to say, you know, okay, there was a runner on third with less than two outs. What was my job? What does success look like? Well, it's amazing to me how many young players when they show up to us in seventh grade can't answer that question. They say, well, I want to get a hit. Well, yeah, that would be nice for your batting average, but that's not necessarily what the team needed right there. Was was it a bonus? I mean, was a hit a bonus? Yeah, absolutely. That was great that you got a hit, but I would have been just as proud of you if you had rolled one over to the shortstop and helped the score run there 
right? So it's uh, as a player, you have to understand what success looks like so you'll understand what you're chasing. If you don't understand what success like looks like or if your version of success is different than what the team's version is, you're not going to know what you're chasing. And a lot of times you're going to walk away from a situation thinking, oh, man, you know, I was right there. Like, I almost – you know, almost got it. And it's like, well, no, you were nowhere close because what we need in that situation was this, but you didn't understand that. So, you know, it always just amazing to me how many people didn't have a clue of what success looked like in certain situations and, and how oftentimes it was misaligned with what the team's version of success was. So, um, you know, for our younger players to be able to deal with failure better, they've got to know what the proper – the proper version of success is they'd be chasing the right thing uh more important more importantly and i've said this a few minutes ago they got to be chasing the right version of success for the team not necessarily the right version of success for them so once we've identified that we jump into the next part of the process which is the three questions and the first question is how was my preparation and uh you know based on the situation and what it asked for me was i prepared for the moment um, and when we talk about preparation, it, it's a long process and it starts long before the moment that we're competing in. And it runs all the way up to the moment just before we're competing in. That's when preparation ends, right? Um, for us in high school baseball, for our guys that don't play football, preparation starts in August, right? When we start working on our bodies and strength and conditioning and we start lifting. And it continues into October when we have our first open season where we get to practice the whole month of October. Uh, and then it continues from November to December when we're really ramping up on the strength and conditioning. And then it continues from January to the end of May when we're in season, right? What did you do during that time to put yourself in the best position to be successful, right? Did you lift every week? Did you lift hard every week? Or did you take days off? Did you have a lot of excuses on why you couldn't be there on Mondays and Wednesdays? Did you show up to get your work in at practice? Did you take the coaching that was offered to you? Did you work to get better? Did you get extra reps in outside of the field? Or did you just show up in January and say, hey, it's baseball season. I'm ready to compete, right? I'm going to do the same things I've always done that always yielded in mediocre results. But because it's a new year and it's a new opportunity, I'm expecting a different result this year, right? Did you work on the things you and your coaches talked about? Or did you think you could take the same swing, same approach, same everything, um, and magically it was going to be different? Preparation leads all the way up to the moment just before the, the pitch is thrown as well in baseball. Um, you know, when you're in the on-deck on deck circle, did you, did you look at the situation? Did you identify what success looked like there? You know, did you understand the situation before the pitch? Were you taking mental reps in the on-deck circle? Were you working on getting your timing down? You know, have you been working to pick on pick up on the pitcher tendencies and stuff like that throughout the game? If you're the most prepared person before the pitch, you're going to be in a position to be successful. It's that, and like I said, that's a process. That preparation for the guy, for Luke Miller, that preparation started a long time ago. He's hitting over 600 for us this year, right? Luke Miller was dealing with an arm injury and surgery and all this other stuff. Luke Miller could have just showed up in January and just been like, huh, you know, hey, let's line them up, boys. Let's draw it. No, I mean, dude's been preparing for a long time to be ready to 
whatever contribution we needed out of him, he's ready for it because he's been working at it, right? Um, yeah, Aiden Palmer, same thing. Chandler Thompson, same thing. Noah Moore, you know, all these guys. Nathan Galls, I mean, he's been preparing since August, right? Um, you know, guys who haven't been preparing with the same intensity, you know, they just made a tough game even more difficult. So that's step one. First question you got to answer is how's my preparation? And this is a big one for me. How was my mindset? I'm I'm big on mindset, man. It's like, to me, it's the most important thing in the game. It's the thing that we don't coach enough of. You know, great preparation, though, fuels a positive mind. When you know you're prepared, you compete with confidence, regardless of the outcome of prior bats, prior games, et cetera. Um, you know, I've talked about this in previous episodes, uh, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse here, but at the end of the day, when you're the best competitor on the field and Sorry. At the end of the day, when you're the best competitor on the field, you're going to be fine. Like, you're going to win those moments more than you lose them. And great competitors understand that, like, this moment, this pitch, has nothing to do with just with what just happened. You know, I see high school athletes fall victim to this all the time, just having a poor mindset. They allow poor bats to stack up. They allow bad breaks to dictate their ability to be successful right now. They allow one bad pitch to take totally take them out of the right mindset. So as a result, when the moment comes for them to do something big that's going to allow them to help the team, they're mentally not prepared for it because they're still pouting about the last play, still pouting about the last pitch, still upset about what happened yesterday, right? Then they're like wondering like why when they weren't successful right there as they're moping back to the dugout or walking off the field, they're wondering, well, I can't believe I failed. How did I fail? If I'll tell you why you failed, because if you don't, if you have a weak mind, if you don't compete with confidence, you're going to fail. Maybe not every time, but certainly the majority of the time it is what it is. So great competitors mind. It's always locked into the moment, locked in on this pitch this shot, this play, that's the mindset we need to be chasing. So after your failure, ask yourself, how was my mindset? Was I still thinking about the argument with my girlfriend from three hours ago when the game started? Or was I locked in on, you know, hey, this guy's been throwing an O2 breaker every time. So when he throws that, I'm going to compete my tail off because that's what I'm looking for to foul it off until he makes a mistake. It's all about, you know, mindset. It's huge. Mindset plays when ability doesn't, right? you have the right mindset, you can make a lot of You don't have to be the best, most talented guy. If you just believe you are, it goes a long way. If you don't believe me, try it. Next 10 games, look at the pitcher when you're in the batter's box and say, dude, I'm the best competitor on the field. You throw me your three best pitches, I'm going to beat you. Say that enough times, you start believing it. If you got average mechanics, average timing, and you say those things, I promise you, you're going to be successful. So the last thing is, how was my execution? Um, so how was my execution? You know, and sometimes you're going to do everything right, right? You're going to identify success. You're going to prepare like a champ. You're going to compete with the right mindset. And you're going to execute exactly how you were supposed to. And you're still going to fail. Baseball is one of the few games that, like, that's a that's a reality. Happens all the time. It just happened to us on Friday night. I thought Coach Gray hit on a bunch of great points in his post-game speech. It was the most proud I think I've ever been to be a member of his of his coaching staff. 
even even going back to like when I was a player for him. Uh, he got real vulnerable and he talked about like life lessons that come from just gut-wrenching emotional losses like what we experienced last week. He talked about how proud he was of those guys. He talked about like overcoming adversity and dealing with failure and like how bad he wanted it for them. I mean, it just Coach Gray's never been an overly emotional guy. He's one of those guys that you always know, like he cares a lot about his players, but he's not gonna like he always referred to it as like being a duck. Like a duck looks very peaceful and calm on the surface, but underneath their feet are like, you know, fluttering like really fast. I couldn't have been more proud of like what he said to our team following Friday night, Friday night sauce, because he he let some of that show and uh some of that emotion and and stuff like that. And um you know, but my point was like he talked about how well they executed. And like sometimes in a game like baseball, you do everything right and you still come up on the short, the wrong end instead. They were one play better than us. That's it. Yeah, our execution was perfect. Like we took care of the controllables. Um, we just came up short on the end of the play, and you know, in the moment it sucks, but that's the way it goes sometimes. You know, we have to be willing to know when to tip our cat to the competitors across the field and say, "Hey, you got me there." But the sun don't shine on the same dog's butt every day, right? So at some point, like, you keep doing everything right, you keep controlling the controllables every day, you're going to be in a good situation eventually. So um, we talked to our players a lot about, about, like, execution following at bats and stuff like that. You know, one big thing, I saw this on Twitter one time, they talked about, you know, well, maybe things didn't – turn out the way that I thought they were going to turn out but like so like immediately everybody starts jumping to well something's wrong with my mechanics or blah 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 no man like did you swing in a pitch you could drive and where you on time right if you took care of those things or nothing you can you can't do anything about where the defense was playing yeah you hit three line drives to the shortstop you go over three on the night there's nothing I can do about that but I should feel good because my execution I was three for three on execution I was over three in batting average but I was three for three on doing my job and that's baseball. Um, it kills me when I see guys allow, like, they execute perfectly, but something they can't control stop them from getting the desired outcome they were looking for, and they're, like, totally checked out of the game. Yeah, if your execution's poor, that's different. Yeah, we got to identify where the breakdown was, and we got to work on it, and we got to fix it. Yeah, did I swing at a ball? Did we pop a ball we should have been trying to hit on the ground? Was our timing bad? Yeah, those are execution flaws we have to identify and correct to get better at to execute the next time, right? But like when your execution is great, there's no reason in like being all pissy and mad and upset and all this other stuff. It's just like, hey, made a great play. I got you. If I if I stick with my controllables and keep taking care of that stuff, I'm gonna win more than I'm gonna lose. And that's a fact. That's the way it goes. So that was that was three questions. How was my execution? Uh, how is my mindset? How is my preparation? Those are all, I mean, that's every aspect of your life. You know, when you fail, you got to be able to identify those things and answer those questions. Okay. And if you can do that and like, that's going to help tell you, like, was my failure due to a lack of preparation? Was my failure due to, I didn't have the right mindset? Was my failure due to just somebody else was a little bit better than me on that play? Right. So that's where we're at. Um, 
those, I mean, those are three things we've got to be instilling in our players. If we're coaches, if your parents, like, you know, identifying success, answering those three questions, because it's going to point us in the right direction of what we have to do to make sure we don't have to experience that failure again. Okay. All right. Final thoughts. Uh, Failures inevitable in sports and in life. We've already talked about that. There's no way around it. Uh, we have to accept this. We got to put ourselves in the best position to learn and grow through failure instead of allowing failure to keep us down, right? By having reasonable expectations around failure, it can help us turn bad situations into positive moments that propel us forward the next time uh, we're thrust in a similar, similar situation. When you accept that failure is going to happen versus treating failure like something we want to avoid at all costs, we normalize those moments and we <clears throat> and we normalize our ability to deal with the inevitable failure at, or sorry, and our ability to deal with the failure, which is inevitable, gets easier. So for young athletes, the absolute number one thing you can do in every situation where failure is an option is successfully identify what success looks like in that moment. That's like a crucial step because if you can identify success before we even get going and be correct on what that is, it makes life a whole lot easier, right? It helps propel like our confidence and, and helps us control the controllables. If I'm a hitter and I understand that with a runner on third base and less than two outs and the infield's playing back, hitting a fly ball to left field, hitting a high chop to the shortstop or getting a hit, they're all the same thing. I just took what most people say, well, I need to get a hit. Well, you know, that's only one possible scenario. We had all the other things you can do. We open up like nine different ways we can be successful. So if you told me, hey, man, there's nine ways you can be successful versus one, I'm going to feel a lot more confident about that than, than if you just said, hey, man, you got to get a double in the gap, right center field gap here. It's like, oh, well, you know, lots got to go my way for that to happen, right? Uh, so – um, that's step one is identifying success and, and, you know, we've got to get really good at that. And then the next thing is like, once the moment's over and we've either failed or experienced that success, we've had, we have started asking ourselves the tough questions to better understand how we could, how we could have potentially done things differently or what we need to continue to stay with to experience success. How was my prep? How was my mindset? How was my execution? Right. The answer to those questions are going to help you identify where the breakdown was or identify what you did really well. You know, sometimes there's not a breakdown. Right. Sometimes we do everything right and we still fail. But when we have failed and there is a breakdown, uh, we'll be better prepared for the next situation by what those answers reveal about what we have to do with our preparation or what we have to do with our mindset or what, you know, what we have to do with our execution. And I think this is the most important thing. And I've talked about this uh on many podcasts in the past is identity guys. Like, remember, you know, failure does not define you. I think coach Allison says this a lot. Like he says, you know, it's not the adversity. It's not the failure that defines you as a man. It's how you overcome it, how you, uh, what you do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. So we have to believe that, right. If I fail that that's not who I am. I strike out. If I'm, you know, have a starting position, I lose that starting position. You know, those are part of life. They're part of the process. Uh, they teach us valuable lessons and they help build character. But those moments, 
they don't define who we are as people. Um, I had a boss, Dave Wagner. He told me this one time. He's, you know, and I, I, my first year in this business as a, as a rep, I was struggling. You know, I was taking that home every day. I was like, man, I was like ranked like 50th out of 80. And never ever, ever been ranked that terrible at anything in my life. And I'm like having a hard time dealing with it. He's like, dude, that's not your, your self-worth and your identity has nothing to do with where you finish on that scorecard. Right. It doesn't. It's what you do. It's not who you are. And that's something that stuck with me for my entire life, ever since I met that guy. Uh, and that was probably six years. I don't know. That was about seven, eight years ago. Um, so when you're able to separate your self-worth and your identity from the outcome of certain moments, it's going to allow you to deal with those moments and grow from those moments instead of allowing those moments to break us. Right. When we put all of our eggs in the basket of, well, if I don't, if I strike out on this play, on this play, or if I lose my starting job, you know, my life is over. No, it's not. You have to embrace those things, man, because it's part of life. Like embrace it, because every time you embrace it, you're one step closer to your greatest victory, right? There's nothing better than like laying on the field of battle, just totally exhausted and defeated, like thinking about or after a big victory, thinking like of the process and what what it required for you to get there. Every champion, their journey isn't easy. It never is, right? It's one that's filled of like tremendous ups, tremendous downs. It's, man, if I wouldn't have answered the bell that day and got up and went and did this or went and worked on that, like I wouldn't have been prepared for that next opportunity I got. Like, you know, that's what it's all about. Like, you're not going to find somebody who's ever accomplished anything in life who doesn't have like some great story to tell about some tremendous failure they had along the way. Had they sat back and allowed those moments to define them, they would have never had the courage to get up and put the work in and learn from the situation to make sure that when it did come time again for them to be in a similar situation, they wouldn't have been able to be successful, right? Because they've still been moping and crying about what happened previously. And, um, you know, I think it's just a big thing. It's not, that's, you know, that's what it comes down to. Like everything right here, if you haven't been faced with it yet, like if you're a high school baseball player and you haven't faced these things, you haven't had much failure yet. At some point this year, you're going to have failure. It's going to happen. I mean, I'd like to find one high school baseball player who hasn't failed at some point yet this, this season. Um, come find me. Cause like, I, I don't think that's possible, but as we move, into this time of the year where the moments are much more important, the cost of tuition, the cost of failure is tremendous, right? Things are going to happen and you're going to be forced to answer the bell or not answer the bell. And if you just choose not to answer the bell, you know, it's, you're going to end up with a life full of regret because you're going to look back one day when you can't play these games anymore. And you're going to say, man, I can't believe that, you know, I quit in that moment instead of using everything that led up to that moment as a learning experience to learn how not to fail when I was put in that situation again. Like I lost my starting job and I spent a lot of time pouting about it and being mad about it instead of saying, you know what, it is what it is. Um, you know, I got to be better. Here's the things I got to work on. I know what I need to work on and just prepare yourself for the next moment. That's how you deal with failure. Okay. 
identify what success looks like, answer the three key questions and allow that to dictate what you what direction you need to go with your preparation moving forward to ensure that you don't fail the next time you're put in that situation. So that's all I got. Um, about an hour worth of uh, content there, 30 minutes spent not talking about this, 30 minutes spent talking about uh, spent talking about how to deal with success or how to deal with failure better. So um, skip my, we skipped the uh, mailbag this past week just because I had an opportunity to go watch my oldest son down in Greenwood after our game Friday night. I had to drive down there to watch him play on Saturday. So didn't have time to do a podcast. I'll try to double up on that this week. Um, I'll be releasing the article for this Monday morning. Sunday after or Sunday afternoon right now. Podcast will be available here in a few minutes. But um kind of the schedule for this week. We'll release this on Monday. As long as I don't have any new topics that pop up between then and Friday, we'll probably take a little bit of time off this week from the podcast. Uh so we can focus on and then we got a lot of baseball this week. JV's play Monday, varsity plays Tuesday, JV plays Wednesday, varsity plays Thursday, then we're on spring break. So probably catch up on some stuff going into next week but um that's kind of where we're at try to release two two episodes this week this is going to be one of them the other one's going to be the mailbag we'll try to spend that time to catch up on the questions we didn't get answered from last week so if you have any new questions for me keep submitting them um been getting them on twitter pretty frequently i think we've probably got about 30 questions now we got to answer so we're gonna have to have a massive like three hour episode to catch back up but I appreciate all the input, feedback, follows, likes, questions, participation. Everything's been just phenomenal. Um, if there's something we're not hitting on that you want to hear, let me know. Uh, I've done a couple episodes just from suggestions that people have made via Twitter. So we'd love to do it. Um, there's a lot of times there's things that maybe I haven't thought about yet that I'd like to talk about that, you know, sometimes hearing from somebody else that allows us to be like, hey, you know, that's a really good topic that I think a lot of people would like to hear about. So um, I depend on y'all for that. If not, it's all stuff that I just, you know, either experience something at a game or, you know, whatever that I'm like, okay, I got to, I want to talk about that. So it's cool when uh, I want to make sure we're talking about stuff that y'all want to hear about. So, but anyways, it's been a lot of talking. I'm going to um, shut it down. Remember, guys, the job's to uh, leave the world better than we found it. If you're a coach, remember to call to action I had at the beginning of this. Like, get vulnerable, man. Start tweeting. You're going to start off and 100 people are going to view your tweet accidentally, and you might get five likes if you're lucky. And then over time, you start tweeting more. You start providing more content. People start hearing the things that you say and, and stuff like that. And next thing you know, you got 100 people who follow you then 600, then 700, then 1,200, then 10,000. I mean, that's the way it works, but it all started with somebody having the courage to throw something out there one time. And again, if it positively impacts one person, it's worth doing. So do it. There's so many good coaches. Like I think about Justin the PD. Justin the PD. Think about people like Coach Apicella down in Lake City and like, what he does for that community, what his kids do, how they play the game, not just the way they run bases, but like what he's all about as a man. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Facebook. He puts some of the best stuff out there about like things that 
like his most recent one that I really like I loved was he talked about the oven mint and the fact that like if you're an oven mint guy, you're not you're not a Lake City dude. Right. Because if you jam one finger or break one finger, you got nine others. We want dogs. And that's why I'm never surprised when they beat a team they shouldn't beat or a team that maybe on paper is better than them because that's the way those those dudes embrace that mindset. Follow somebody like Apicella, Coach App, one of the best in the business, right? Great content. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't do it for likes and subscribes and all that stuff. He does it because, like, I mean, I don't know why he does it, actually. But, I mean, I look at it and I'm like, I've learned a tremendous amount from him just from reading this stuff. When I first got into coaching, that dude, he's literally, if you're a coach and you want to figure out, like, how to build a manual for your baseball program, reach out to Coach Matt Apicella. Hey, coach, I heard you've got a manual for your program. He'll send it to you. Read it. It was a game changer for me as a coach. I started putting together my own manual when I was a Southside coach, right? And we lived off that manual while I was there. And it wasn't 20 pages like his is, but it was, you know, five, six pages of the things that mattered the most to me, the things that mattered the most to get those guys ready for being a part of South Florence baseball. That was all from him, right? Yeah. Reach out. I mean, just put your content out there because, like, that's, again, like, when coaches see other coaches doing stuff like that, it's game-changing, right? There's tons of dudes in this community that I think the world would be a better place if they heard from, right? People like Coach Chapman in Hartsville. Tremendous dude. I never walk away from a conversation with Coach Chapman at Hartsville not feeling like a better human being. That's a fact. Because he's just a great dude. He's a great motivator of men. He's a great coach. He's one of the best, I think. We can get him over to South Florence. We take him any day of the week, right? He's one I got a tremendous amount of respect for. Coach Kenny Gray right here in town. Coach Rhodes Dickerson. Coach Trey Allison. Coach Scott. Coach Timo. You know, Coach Sean Armstrong, our strength coach. Coach Drew Marlowe, a head football coach. These are all dudes, and I'm like kind of South Florence biased there, but, I mean, they're all great coaches. Coach Josh Brown's a good one. Coach Josh Guthrie at Florence Christian, tremendous coach. Coach Mike Rogers, Coach uh, Derek Urquhart at uh, Trinity. Coach Bowie Olson over there. Brody Justice. These are all good coaches that people should hear from. So I'm challenging all y'all, man. Start using, start using your, using your platform to like let people know what you're all about. Because at some point I'm gonna get y'all on this podcast. And you're going to have to talk about it. Um, coach Chipper Smith, I, if I didn't say your name, it doesn't mean you're not a great coach. It just, these are all just people like, I think about people that have a positive impact on on me as a coach. And it, a lot of it comes from like the things they say, the things we talk about when we're with them, you know, when we're playing each other and stuff like that. And it's like, damn, dude, like, you know, if the world could hear what, like the things we talk about in private, you probably wouldn't be coaching here in this area. Like, you'd probably be coaching, like, big time somewhere, which, I mean, they probably don't want that. But, I mean, it's just my point is, like, parents, players, like, all these people, they'd be amazed at, like, the quality of the coaches we have in the PD. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate that, and a lot of people don't understand that because they haven't heard enough from us, right? They don't know what guys are about. 
they don't know what they, they just assume. You see a guy like if, if you see me walking from the third base dugout to the first base coaching box, I don't smile a lot, right? People probably think, man, that dude's probably a prick. He's hard to play for. I think our players would tell you totally differently. Does that guy hold me to a high standard? He does, but he loves me, cares about me, does everything he can to try to help me. I think our players would say that about all of our coaches. But if you looked at us, if you don't take the time to kind of hear what we're all about, like you'd be like, eh, I don't, I don't really know about those guys. You know, Coach Gray is one of the best coaches I've ever been around in my life. Um, the amount of things I've learned from him as a as a coach, as a man, been tremendous. It's amazing to me when people like tell me what they think about Coach Gray sometimes. So I'm like, nah, dude, there's nothing like that. Well, I didn't know. I was just being judgmental. Yeah. You know, just saying. It's a good opportunity, and some people aren't motivated by that, and that's okay. I'm not talking about him now. I'm just saying in general. Like some guys are like, well, I don't really care about getting my stuff out there. And that's fine. You don't have to. My point is, though, like as coaches, we have a platform to be able to positively impact the world. And if people aren't hearing from us, then we're not using our platform to the best of our abilities. Some people listen to what I have to say, and they're like, a dude's an idiot. But somebody listens to it, and it motivates them in some way. It challenges them to be better. And the guys I talked about earlier, those are all people that if the world heard from them more often <clears throat> or heard from them at all, it would make a tremendous amount of impact on people's lives. No doubt about it. So that's my challenge, guys. Bowie Olson, Coach Bowie Olson, I know you got podcasting equipment, so your call to action is I need you on the podcast sometime soon, man. Might do it live and in color. But anyways, that's all I got, guys. Big week for the Bruins this week. Got Wilson at home on Tuesday night. Wilson on the road uh, Thursday night. Looking to get back in the win column after a two-game slide against North Myrtle Beach. Um, If you're looking to see some good baseball, come out and see us. Yeah. I know we lost three games last week, but it was great baseball. I think anybody in attendance would tell you those are two heavyweights freaking squaring off. and I hope it's not the last time we see those guys. Because if we see them again, it'll be in the lower state championship. And our goals, you know, Coach Timo talks about windshield, playing in the windshield, baby. It's in the past, it's in the past. Um, we got our eyes on the prize and we understand that everything, everything's still in front of us for this season. So that's all I got. Appreciate everybody for listening in, for joining. Uh to listen to what just some coach from Floatown has to say. Appreciate you. Um, if I can help in any way, let me know. Until next time, be cool and go Bruins. See ya.